0: Richard Hill. Good to see you all. Today our Bible reading is going to come from Matthew chapter 13. So go ahead and open up your Bibles to Matthew 13. We're going to be reading verse 44. It's on page 1519 of the Bibles in your pews. Today we're going to be looking at, I think, I don't know this for certain, but probably the shortest parable in the Bible. Uh, and so it's only one verse long. And while you guys are turning there, if you are new to Orchard Hill, or if you've been gone a couple weeks, this week we are concluding our series called "Mature," excuse me, "Real Mature," where we are striving as a church family to go from being a church of spiritual infancy to being a church characterized by spiritual maturity. We want to grow in our discipleship. We're talking about how can we grow in following Jesus. And so with that said, let us go to Matthew 13, verse 44. It says this, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. This is the word of the Lord. Thank Thanks be to God. So, as we seek to understand this parable, we have to start at the very beginning. The very first phrase in this passage is the phrase kingdom of heaven. Now, Matthew, for some reason, loves to use the phrase kingdom of heaven. All the other gospel writers opt to use the phrase kingdom of God. It seems like Matthew, he might have been a little gun-shy using the name of God in his writings. And so, again, he uses this term, kingdom of heaven. But the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, we believe they're synonymous with one another. That leads us to the question, what is the kingdom of heaven? Well, the Bible is clear there are two kingdoms operating in our world. First, there's the kingdom of darkness. It's the kingdom of evil. It's the kingdom of sin. It's the kingdom of Satan. And this kingdom has existed from really the first rebellion against God. And on the other hand, there is the kingdom of heaven. It's the kingdom of God. And this kingdom is the kingdom that Jesus Christ, our king, ushered in when he came to earth. The kingdom of heaven is breaking into the kingdom of darkness. And so this morning I was kind of thinking of it like it's a spaceship, right? You think in the same way that a spaceship breaks into the outer space, we have the kingdom of heaven that is breaking into the kingdom of darkness. And Jesus is inviting you and I to live according to the values and the ways and the will of this kingdom. Jesus is the king of this kingdom. We are the citizens of his kingdom. And again, we are called to live according to the ways of Jesus' kingdom. My favorite definition of the kingdom is this. As Bob prayed this morning, it's God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. I love that definition of a kingdom because it summarizes everything perfectly. It is God's will being done here on earth by his people as it is in heaven. And if we're honest, I think the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, it's a difficult concept for us to understand. It's a little abstract. And if it's hard for us to understand having a Bible and having all the teachings of Jesus that we could study for hours and hours and hours, how hard do you think it was to understand for the disciples? in the very first century, a totally new concept, right? And so all throughout the gospels, Jesus uses these parables, these side-by-side comparisons to help us better understand what the kingdom is like. And so in our passage, Jesus says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field. So in the first century, unlike today, There were no local banks to keep your money. Right now, we could keep our savings in our checking account, like I have ours at Lake Michigan Credit Union. They didn't have that back then. (laughs) There were very few banks, and that really led people to have a little problem. If they had a savings, if they had an abundance of resources, what do you do with that? Do you hide it in your house that people could just kick in the little wooden door Uh, Probably not. So there was a lot of fear. There was a lot of insecurity. What do we do with any savings or wealth that we have? And it seems kind of childish today, but a common practice back in the day was to bring your treasure out into the field and bury it. Only the place where you knew where it was. And so if need arose, then these people could go to the field dig up their treasure that would be in a little box, and they would be able to get what they need to really pay for the need that they have, and then they'd bury it back up and they'd be good. So most of the time, I think it worked pretty well. However, it wasn't unheard of for people to die, and if you are the only person who knows where that treasure box is, nobody else is going to be able to find it. It wasn't uncommon in those days for different tribes and territories and nations to come in and totally displace an entire village. And again, when that happens, the person's dead now. They're not going to be able to find their treasure. All that to say, it wasn't unheard of for people to find treasure in a field. And then Jesus goes on to say this. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again again. And then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. I want you to imagine there's this poor day laborer working his butt off in this field behind a couple oxen. And here he is just, I mean, this wasn't his field. It was a field of a wealthier man. He was just doing what he was told. And here he is, day after day, plowing, plowing, plowing. But then all of a sudden, clunk! His plow hits something hard. And this man, he's like, oh, it's another rock. Israel is way too rocky. So he gets down on his knees and starts digging out that rock to get it out of the way. But then, upon closer inspection, he realizes this isn't a rock. This is a wooden chest. And he he opens it up, breaks it open, and he discovers it is full of treasure. It's full of silver and gold and pearls and coins. It's full of treasure. And so he gets kind of excited like a middle school boy. And he, he looks around to make sure nobody sees what's going on. He buries it, and then he gets up, and he runs back home. He doesn't even finish plowing the field, and he goes up to his wife, and he says, Wife, we are selling everything. We're selling our house right now. We are selling our two goats. We are selling our sheep. We are going to sell our annual supply of wine and bread. We have to get rid of everything. Why? He said to his wife, because we have to go buy that field. And Jesus looks at his disciples there that day. And he said, the kingdom of heaven is a little like that. The kingdom of heaven is kind of like that. Today, I think there are a few things that we can apply to our own lives. That day in the first century, Jesus wanted his disciples to understand a few truths about the kingdom. And I think Jesus wants us today in the 21st century to know those same truths. And so if you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to write these three things down. Three truths about the kingdom. And the first thing I think Jesus needs all of us to understand is this that the kingdom is the treasure of utmost worth. There is nothing more important, there is nothing more urgent, there is nothing more pressing, there is nothing more valuable than the kingdom of heaven. There is nothing more uh, pressing, there's no higher priority. Then the kingdom, Jesus is making it abundantly clear. No business plans, no athletic pursuits, no lofty life goals. There is not a single thing in the entire universe that takes precedence over the kingdom. Jesus wants his disciples and us as his disciples to realize the kingdom is the treasure of utmost worth. Secondly, I think Jesus wants us to understand that obtaining this kingdom is costly. This parable makes it clear that obtaining the kingdom of heaven will actually cost you everything. Think about this story. This man, he had to sell everything, his house, his goats, his oxen, his uh, wine, his barley, everything to go all in and buy this field. It's kind of like a poker player at the poker table going all in. Or it's kind of like, Maybe a young person trying to start up a business. He's 23 years old. He forsakes everything else in life in order to start this business. He goes all in. And Jesus is saying, in the same way, you have to be all in when it comes to the kingdom. Jesus makes it obvious that it costs you everything. It costs you your goals. It costs you your time. It costs you your energy. It costs you Your sins. It costs you your very self-centered life. So what do we know so far? The kingdom is the treasure of utmost worth. Obtaining the kingdom is costly. But thirdly, I think Jesus wants us to understand that although it is costly, we can pay this cost with joy. I love the words in the passage. In his joy... He went and sold all that he had and bought that field. So again, in order for this guy in the parable to get the treasure, he had to get rid of everything, sacrifice everything that was his. But notice, he didn't do it grudgingly, did he? And I want to ask you a question today. Why was he able to do that with joy? Think about that. Think about that question to yourself. Why was this man able to give up everything that was meaningful to him in order to buy that field? I think the answer becomes clear. Why was he able to do this? He was able to give up everything with joy because he knew that he was getting something so much better in return. This guy was able to give up all that he had because he knew that he was going to get something so amazing, so much better. And you didn't have to twist this guy's arm to sell his house and to uh, get rid of everything to buy that uh, piece of land. He knew he was getting something so good. And if I can be honest, sometimes I feel like when it comes to ministry, we're twisting people's arms or like trying to persuade people to be all about the kingdom. And I think we have to do that because we as people, myself included, we forget that the kingdom is the treasure of utmost worth. We forget that the kingdom of God is the very best thing that we can get for ourselves. We struggle to surrender all that we have to King Jesus because we believe that the things that we have to give up are of greater value than the kingdom. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. The kingdom is the treasure of utmost worth and there is nothing better. I was thinking this week, and really when I was thinking, it made me happy because I think we are a a congregation who understands this concept. And when I refer to the concept, I'm referring to this concept of Paying a cost that is costly, but doing so because we know that we will receive something much greater. So any uh, students here, raise your hand. Any students who are involved in extracurricular activities in in something after school? All right. Got some over here, some over here. Uh, All right. So if you are in school, extracurricular activities, you pay dearly to be involved in these extracurricular activities, don't you? You give up every day after school for hours to practice your musical or to memorize lines or to participate in a sport. And why do you do that? Because you know that the cost that you pay pales in comparison to the joy that you receive. Another example, college student. Any college students here Few? All right. You guys pay tens of thousands of dollars every year to go to college. It not only costs you your money, but it costs you so many nights doing whatever you want to do because you have to do homework. It costs you studying for tests and exams and you have to do these internships. But why do you pay the cost? Because you know that the price that you pay will pale in comparison to the joy that you receive when you get that dream job. Parents, as I'm discovering, being a parent is costly. Oh my goodness. Preach it. It costs you your sleep. It costs you your hobbies, hunting. It costs you your life and lots of money. We've been at it for nine weeks, eight weeks. (laughs) Being a parent is costly. Yet, we as parents, we gladly pay the cost with joy because we know that what we receive far outweighs the cost. It took that little bugger one smile at me yesterday. Or one smile today when we were worshiping God to realize, oh my goodness, it is worth the cost. We are people who gets this concept. Retirement. Let's pretend you have a Roth IRA. It's gonna cost you $6,500 a year to max that puppy out every single year. But why do you do that with joy? Why do you do that gladly? It's because you know in 40 years when you retire, you're going to get something so much better in return. So we are a people. From our youngest to the oldest, we get this concept. We gladly pay the cost because we are going to get something so much better. Jesus actually deliberately makes this point a couple chapters later in Matthew 19. I love this passage because Jesus goes up to uh, the rich young ruler and he says, Hey, come give up everything and follow me. The rich young ruler didn't want to do that, so he went away sad. But right after this, what does Peter do? Peter goes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, we gave up everything to follow you. What are we going to get? And Jesus says this, anyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or fields, for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much And they will inherit eternal life. So yes, pursuing the kingdom costs you everything. But Jesus is saying, when you pay that price, you receive joy and a hundred times as much and eternal life. At this point, some of you are probably saying, Greg, I get it. We're going to live a life of misery here on earth. But when we get to heaven... When Jesus returns, creates a new heaven and a new earth, we're going to get our rewards. And that's when I'll get my hundredfold blessing. But I want to make it clear, this hundredfold blessing is not in eternal life. In Mark 10, Jesus makes this abundantly clear. It says, no, this hundredfold blessing is in this life. What does he say? He says, uh, the hundredfold blessing occurs in this present age. You're going to get a hundredfold blessing in parentheses, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. And so when Jesus says you are going to get a hundredfold blessing, he is not referring to eternal life. He is talking about being blessed on this physical earth when we are living according to the values and the ways of the kingdom. And I want to be clear, Jesus is not talking about this prosperity gospel. When he says you're going to get a hundredfold blessing, he's not saying you're going to live a life without health issues, that you're not going to live a life without uh, hardship. He is not promising a hundredfold blessing on your physical prosperity, on your wealth. He's not promising any of that. What he is promising is that you will have an abundant life that is a hundred times greater than anything that you have given up to follow King Jesus. And may we receive that truth and may we believe that truth here today. Our prayer for this church is that we would be a church family who views the kingdom as the treasure of utmost worth. And our prayer is that we as a congregation will joyfully pay that cost that is required to be all into the kingdom. And our prayer is that as we as a church family joyfully pay those costs, that we will receive the joy, the blessings, and abundant life that Jesus wants to give us. And so as we transition, I want you to keep those three kingdom truths in mind. But at this time, I want to ask everybody to pull out their next step grid. If you are sitting on the end of a pew, little did you know you had a lot of responsibility today. You have to make sure everybody in your pew has one of these uh, grids. If for some reason you have 12 people in your row and you don't have enough sheets, you can go steal them from another. I do not care if people are walking around. The most important thing, please, if everybody could have one of these in their hands, it's going to be very helpful for you as we go forward. So when you're looking at this grid, On the front page, as you can see, it's called the Next Step Grid. And our spiritual growth plan for this church, the discipleship pathway for this church, is built upon four kingdom values. Growing, serving, connecting, and reaching. And the idea is that all of us are at different places in our spiritual journey. And if you look at the far left column, it says attend worship weekly, do something, meet someone new, help with an outreach. These are steps that you can take if you are at the very beginning of your discipleship journey. And the goal is over the years, we will continue to grow towards the right. And so this year, if you are in the farthest left column, maybe next year you make it to that second column Commit to growing and discovering your shape, attending an OHC event and training to share the gospel. But our hope and our prayer is that eventually everyone in this church would consider themselves belonging to this far right column, growing deep roots, living a cruciform life. That's a a, a cross-shaped life, a life of serving others, participating in deep community, and living on mission. And if everybody in our church really was on this right hand column, we would be a very mature church doing incredible things for the kingdom of God. So what we want to ask of you today as we conclude the series is, what is your next step? What is one or maybe two things that you can commit to over the next year to be all in for the kingdom of God? And the first thing we are asking you to consider is that you would be all into growing. So in the same way that this uh, young man in the parable gave up everything to pursue the field, that you would be someone who gives up everything to commit to growing in your walk with God, growing in love with him, growing into the image of Jesus, growing in your ability to be satisfied by the one true God. And if we're honest, this is going to cost you. This is going to cost you dearly. Even the first one, to attend worship weekly, to make worship a priority, it's gonna cost you Sunday morning sleep ins. It's gonna cost you those weeks when you're like, oh, I really wanna do this on a Sunday. Uh, it's gonna to have to wait till noon to make that a priority. It's gonna cost you. And I wanna say, going to church weekly isn't some religious thing that you earn brownie points to God, but it absolutely is a gauge. For your love and devotion and desire to worship the one true God. But here's the thing. To attend worship weekly, it costs you. But I don't know if you were here 30 minutes ago. Is there anywhere else you would rather be? Is there anything better than getting to kneel before the God of the universe and worship him? Is there anything better than being heartbroken and just down in life because of your life circumstances and come forward and have prayer is there anything better than being encouraged by your brothers and sisters is there anything better than being involved in the community and being encouraged from the word of God is there anything better than coming here reminding yourself that we are dead in our sins we are completely undeserving of God's love yet he is a God by his grace and mercy offers us a relationship with him I don't think there's a place I would rather be than right here on a Sunday morning. Maybe you do attend worship weekly. So maybe for you, you have to say, I need to commit to growing. I want to commit to doing the spiritual disciplines. That is Bible reading and prayer. And I want to grow in my ability to do that. And in order to do that, it's going to cost you. It costs you your daily time during the week. It costs you your entertainment time. It costs you your screen time. Well, Orchard Hill, there is not a better thing in the world than meeting with God throughout the week and having this intimate, intimate relationship with the creator of the universe. You pay the cost, but that cost pales in comparison to what you receive. And maybe you are here saying, well, Greg, I've committed to growing too. Maybe today you need to say, I need to grow towards maturity. That is, my life needs to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And again, what is it going to cost you? It's going to cost you your sin. It's going to cost you your comfort. It's going to cost you your intentionality. But I think you're soon going to discover that when you live according to God's will and God's way, life is a hundred times better than living life your own way. And so with all of these things, Yes, it's going to cost you, but know that you're going to get something far better in return. The second thing we want you to be about is serving. Our prayer is that every person in this church family would grow towards serving in a ministry area at Orchard Hill. Rather than simply being served, we want to serve. Rather than simply being fed, we want to feed others. And so... If you want to do this, I mean, there's kids' ministry, there's kids' hope, youth ministry, safe families, and dozens of other ministry areas to get involved in. To do any of them, it costs you. But what does Jesus say in Matthew 16? It's when you lay your life down that you will truly find your life. It's when you give your life up that you find true life. And so let us be people who serve others. Thirdly, We're asking that you'd be all into connecting. 25% of our church is involved in a small group, and that is amazing. But that also means that 75% of the people in this church are not involved in a smaller group, in a community group, in a discipleship group. And you might be saying, Greg, why is connecting so important? I've gone to church for so many years, and I've never connected, and I think I'm doing just fine. But I wanna give you two reasons why connecting is so important. And the first is this. Jesus commands us to love one another. It's the greatest commandment. Love God and love your neighbor. But it is impossible to love others sacrificially and be loved sacrificially if you are not known by other people. And secondly, the great commission. Jesus said, go make disciples of all people. Be a disciple who makes disciples. And again, it is absolutely impossible to be discipled by others and disciple others if you are not connecting with them in a smaller group, if you do not know them and if you are not known. And so why is connecting important? I think it's important because if we fail to connect, it is impossible to fulfill the greatest commandments and the greatest commission. That is what the kingdom is about. So if you want to... uh, Experience that. We want to urge you to get connecting. Now, one thing I want to share about connecting. As with all things, it costs you dearly. And over the past four years, I had the privilege of connecting with a group of high school seniors. So I took over their small group when they were freshmen. And to be honest, I know some of you are here right now. The first couple years, it was hard it was costly it cost me my energy it cost me frustration it's like we've got a half hour are we talking about anything related to Jesus no this is the same group and I think it was their seventh grade year Jared their small group leader comes up to me and says Greg we need a new trash can Greg or Jared why do we need a new trash can because one of the boys in this small group broke another kid's... Broke the trash can on another kid's head with it. <laughs> so that's what we're dealing with here. But by God's grace and by God's mercy, over the last four years, God has grabbed their hearts. And because of the gift of connecting and the gift of serving these kingdom values, because of the grace of God... Four of those senior boys are going to be right on this platform next week, Sunday, professing their faith in Jesus and getting baptized. So, praise be to God. I want you to know, if you want to experience real life, if you want to experience a true high, get connecting, get discipling, get serving, get growing. And lastly, we're going to ask that you would be all in to this kingdom value of reaching. That we would be a church that shares the gospel with anyone and everyone. With our family and our children in the back and our youth downstairs and everyone who comes into this church. We need to be a church who preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ to our families and our friends and our workplaces. And yes, this is going to cost you. Your comfort... It's going to cost you your reputation at work, your reputation at school. But there is not a better joy. There is not a better reward than leading someone to Christ, leading them across the line of faith as they cross from death to life. There is not a better joy. There is not a greater reward. And so, would you go all in to reaching? So, as I conclude, what is your next step? If you are a member of Orchard Hill, we have an expectation that you will be deliberate about taking a next step in your faith. And as you think about this, I want you to know that your family needs you. Your family needs you to be spiritually mature, your workplace needs you to be spiritually mature. This church needs you to be spiritually mature. This community in our whole world needs you to be spiritually mature so that you can be somebody who disciples others and evangelizes to others and encourage others in the faith. And so at this time, I want to invite Wendy and the praise team to come on up. What we're going to do over the next few minutes is just give you some space to fill this out. We want you to think, what is going to be my next step? Prayerfully consider this. And once you have had time to think about it, we want you to come down. And again, if you are a member of our church, we have an expectation that you will honestly fill this out and that you'll intentionally live this out over the course of the year. Once you do that, I want you to take this sheet of paper, put it in this basket or that basket. Some of you have already placed your commitment sheets in this little box here. And so if you have done that, we've taken that from the back. So we have these. But over the next few minutes, they're just going to play some soft music that you can reflect to. Uh, Take a few minutes to fill this out. And after I feel like everyone has come forward and placed their sheets in the basket, I want to pray for these commitments. And after that, we will conclude with one final song. So... Why don't we take a few minutes and reflect, what is your next step going to be?